0: To making comics a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives i'm scott lost the creator and artist of the second shift and wanders of milisanda for the accidental aliens
1: and i'm keith foster i write the comic kadoja and i also do some blog things on the site keithrfoster.com as well as freelance write for
0: ihorror.com and i am introing two weeks in a row because i am petty as shit and uh, yeah, so we, yeah. <laughs> we messed up. Keith went three times in a row because we haven't been paying attention. So I was like, "No, yes, no, we haven't." I'm going twice in a row because I'm an asshole. All right, my friends,
1: I, I must I must balance the fucking scales. That's that's fine. You you respect the cosmic order. That's that's, that's right. What you want
0: and I am shorter but heavier than you, so I think my two intros to your three equals a balance. So we'll get <laughs> we'll we'll uh, get back on track next week. All right. So yeah. first things first, my friend. Are you drinking a beverage? Because this week... Of course. Okay, good. Because I am. It's 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 hot as hell down here in San Diego. I'm on my second floor. It's way hotter on the second floor. So to, um, I don't know, not celebrate the trading of Russell Westbrook to the Lakers, I'm drinking my <laughs> Kobe Bryant 22 legendary beer, uh, which was a birthday present by you. Yeah. 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 And I, All and right. I got I say I last time I had one of these, the first one I had was at a family pool party. It was hot. And man, this thing was refreshing. I loved it so much. Okay. So I'm pretty excited.
1: Good, man. No, that I mean, that's the point of having a fridge full of beer, right? That you can uh, you can kind of grab the thing that's right for the occasion. So, yeah, while you take a swig of that, I I am just revisiting Philly just a touch here. This is a beer from Iron Hill Brewery which is a brewery in the Philadelphia area. And it is a bad boy called the Bedeuter. Bedeuter. And it is a oh. Belgian-style triple. So I oh, am just going to be... i sounds great. Dude, I'm gonna, I am so crushing it with podcast content this week. I just want to warn you. This might be the crushingest gold medal podcast performance I've ever delivered in my life. Oh, I'm really yeah. excited for it. 9.0
0: in accordance with the olympics i like it
1: in accordance with the olympics which are probably over by the time this airs but i really don't care um, that's that's part of the part of the peril of recording in advance based on our schedule so yeah man i'm it's actually pretty good too um 9.0 for a triples right there in that nice sweet spot so uh, so yeah be beware listeners we we've got some quality content coming so i guess i i get to go right. first right i get to talk about my week party people i finally threw the ring in mount doom the PDF is actually done done. I had a few other final things that came up which were pretty wild, but the PDF is done. I have sent it to the printer. It is coming back in it it should be in my hands in mid August, so everything is looking pretty good for the uh, for the Kickstarter there. In addition in addition to the The book that's going to come back, um, and again, parallel ship both to me to send to Kickstarter backers and to Diamond for comic book stores, the other pieces of the the project are all moving. So I plan on submitting the files to the single comic printer. I'm going to do that this weekend. Their turnaround time is very quick, so I should be able to get those comics uh, probably before or, or around the same time that I get the trades. And then I just confirm with Lance that he placed the order for the uh, gallery edition prints which are going to be a very high quality like archival paper type of quality for those prints so uh you know a couple of them are going to kickstarter backers and i'll have a couple of them for sale just whenever and he also ordered the action figure boxes so all the pieces are coming together um there may be another outstanding thing or two but we're we're almost there now we're almost there i wanted to bring up one crazy thing so i mentioned that you know the quest is over and i finally did in fact, throw the ring into Mount Doom and end this thing. So I just want to talk from a little bit of a creator standpoint
0: that, like, standardization. Standardization is important. Uh, before you go on to that, um, when are when do, are you getting everything back? You said your printer's pretty quick and you'll be getting it back. Do you know roughly when you'll be getting it back by?
1: They gave me an in-hand date of August 19th.
0: August 19th. Okay, and do you know what day-free comic book day is? Oh, that's the 14th. It's the 14th. I was going to say, so uh, that was a question I had to you. Um, If you're going to have them in time for free comic book day, are you going to be doing a free comic book day event somewhere? Like on the creator end of it?
1: As of today, I am not doing a free comic book day event anywhere, Um, but... You know, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, the, the thing about Free Comic Book Day is I do like doing it as a creator, but it's been a busy month of travel for me. Conventions are going to get going soon, and starting in late August is going to be a busy time of travel. My family's going to be home, all five of us, for about a three, four-week period that's right there in August. So I, I think I just want to ramp down and take some family time and do some shit. You know what I mean? Um, maybe Maybe even go to Disney. So we'll see, you know, there's Star Wars shit there. So everybody drink up because I'm pretty excited for that. So, yeah, we're going to try to try to get some of that going on. So we'll see. I mean, I could change my mind, but I can always put some feelers out and see if any shops are are doing anything for free comic book
0: day. Well, I think one shop that, you know, very well mentioned something to you and I both about free comic book day, which is SoCal Comics. So that's where the accidental aliens will be doing their free comic book day. We will be doing our free comic book day. So if you did want to come down for that, uh, you can always crash over at my place on the Friday, and we can roll in deep on that Saturday Rock and morning. Roll. So just Let something me- to mull over and uh, see if you feel like yeah. deciding doing it closer to the date. Let's do it. It's on a Saturday, right? It's yes, the sir. The comic book day? The 14th. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Put, put, me, put me in for it. Screw it. This is This is like a live discussion, and by the time this comes out... It'll be the Monday before Free Comic Book Day, actually. So we'll still have plenty of oh, time to, to get to get that party jumping. So yeah, yeah, it sounds good. We can talk more offline. But yeah, that's that's a helpful helpful thing. Unfortunately, I won't have Kadoja Volume 3, but I'll have plenty of other awesome Kadoja content there for people. Um, so anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about standardization, right? Standardization, I think when when you're an artist, when you're a writer, all that stuff is important when you're making a PDF. And especially when you outsource, what happened was I sent the PDF to the printer and the printer said, came back and said, Hey, some of these page sizes are different. Okay. So I go back and I look at PDF and it sure enough, it turns out that my PDF consisted of some very high quality files that were like 3000 by 5000 pixels for a page. And then, um, some, some lower resolution or lower size files that were, you know, two thirds of that, something like that. Um, And, of course, they are adhering to the comic book size, which is – what is it? I think it's 6.675 or something like that times Um, Mm -hmm. 10.5. Offhand, I think that's what it is. Um, But anyway, it might be a little different. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, it might be a little different. But that's basically the the size there, right? So I, I fix all those things. And that was what I talked about last week. I'm like, I have this one fix left. So I came home from Utah. I did that fix. It was more involved than I thought. But then I went ahead and did it. I submit the PDF the next day. I then get an email back the, the next day and it says, oh, some of your files are your sizes are a little different. So some I'm going to read the four sizes in terms of inches that my PDF was in 6.88 by 10.44 6.63 by 10.07 6.87 by 10.31 and 6.88 times 10.5. Now, if you were mapping all those out, you would notice that they are incredibly similar. Very, very, very close to each other, right? But here's the problem. They're not the damn same, right? Because I didn't use a standard template and I counted on other letterers to do it. So I lettered issue one and then I had basically the same letterer do issues two through four, but different artistic teams. And that's how I ended up with four different resolution sizes for a 100-page comic book. So um, so the good news is the printer was actually able to work that out and do it so fast that it did not invoke an extra charge. But that said, you know, I know we're nerding out in the weeds here, but when it comes to making a comic, I'm sure with you, Scott, it's pretty easy. You created your first template, and every single page follows that. With me, when I change hands, I've lost a little bit of something in the translation there. So trust me, going forward, when people do stuff... <laughs> I'm going to create a standard template that's exactly this res- the resolution I need, and I'm just going to hand it to everybody and say, this is what I need all your art to fit in so that this never happens again.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But to quote the band Biohazard, the only lessons you learn are the things that you regret. Right? So uh, so yeah, that's, that's how we learn our big lessons. So I learned a big lesson, I got away from it pretty scot-free, the book is getting printed right now as we speak. And uh, onward we go, right? So that was my first big thing, man. How about you? What was your first thing?
0: That's great, man. That's uh, it's it's always rewarding knowing the books in the printer's hands, and they're they're getting things done. They're gonna churn it out and send it over to you. So that's awesome. Um, I feel like. I've been doing a lot of commission work here and there. So that's like kind of the bulk of, the, of my th- items this week. So I did another toy, toy design. I knocked that out pretty quickly. I have one more to do, which I'll probably end up tackling tonight. Um, I had a... Th- so I have essentially four commissions going on at the same time, uh, or four freelance projects. Uh, the toy, toy design, like I said, it's a monthly thing, so that's freelance more than commission. Um, but I have three commissions on the side that I'm taking care of number one the mermaid Commission it is still in limbo I still have not received an email back but it's giving me time to tackle these smaller projects so if you guys are out there and you have a ton of commissions um, if you're able to juggle multiple ones if you're having issues contacting one person move on to the next one keep yourself moving so that's what I'm doing in this case I was able to finish up one of the toy designs and just knock another one. I'll probably knock another one out tonight. Uh, another person that I received an inquiry from, he gave me all the information he needed for for the commission. Uh, very detailed, lots of, lots of information there. And when I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to need a starting fee of this," uh, I haven't heard back. So, <laughs> so it's a. Uh, a little problematic because I was like, this is going to be an easier commission. It's it's going to take me uh, possibly faster than the toy commissions. And uh, unfortunately, I won't start without that deposit since I've never worked with this person before. So um, if you're an artist out there and you're looking to take commissions, it's a good idea to make sure you're getting at least a deposit first um, if you've never worked with these people. You never know what's going to happen they might ghost you you've done all this work and you have nothing to show for it so um, that's what I like to do I asked for about basically two hours worth of a deposit and um, I would go from there I work for about two hours and then uh, see what he thought
1: what is a standard so I'll I'll give you mine first okay as someone who who obviously pays people to, to do commissions or do work do you have a standard way that you break it up? And I think this is hopefully this is helpful to people too. My standard way I do it is I just like to break it into thirds. So it will be some arrangement of thirds. So for example, and and the way it tends to work is if, if I really get granular, then the first third is simply an upfront payment, right? Like I'm paying you a third. You haven't done a damn thing. Right. And then, um, or force sometimes. And then what you'll do is you'll kind of pay for either completion of pencils and or inks, and then you'll pay a final commission for the completion of everything, right? So there's a lot of ways to break it up along deliverables, but I mean, do you have a preferred format? Do you like just an upfront and a completion? Do you like like a signpost payment that just kind of keeps you going? Um, how How many points of payment do you like?
0: Well, it's all dependent on the project. So if I know... If I know it's just like, hey, it's this many characters on this page, uh, like let's say it's like cover work or a pinup, I'll have a flat fee for that. So usually I'll do half and half. It's like half up front and, and then the half at the end. And um, so what I'll do is, you know, work the project out. I'll be checking in with them periodically because, you know, it's it's like. I want them to feel involved in the project. And not only that, I want to make sure I'm on track so there isn't any last minute changes when things are more finalized. So um, I'll keep them uh, clued in pretty, pretty well. And then, you know, everything's just photos. I won't take screenshots like when it's closer to the completion of the project. So I primarily work digitally. So initially I can just take screenshots of the project so they can see uh, the, the project very clearly. But when we get closer to completion, I just take uh, shots with my phone of my screen. So that way they can't just be like, got what I needed out of it and then move on, you know. And and not like that's ever happened to me, but I like to prepare against something like that. Um, And so, yeah, so I'll do 50-50. On certain projects like this this commission that I was going to take on, it's a relatively fast project. So I was going to charge them an hourly rate with a minimal fee. So... Um, I have my hourly rate. I figured it would take me a couple of hours. So I charged him two hours worth of an hourly rate. And if it was under that, that's still the fee. So it's just like, well, I'm going to work two hours on this. And that's what I'm getting paid regardless. So it it benefits me to try to finish the project quicker because then I'm getting paid more per hour. Um, If Mm -hmm. not, then we get to that we start dipping into that third hour, depending how much we get into that third hour and how much I like these people, I'll just be like, we're good. You know, the two hour fee, you know, I went 15 minutes over. I'm not going to charge you for 15 minutes. Um, but, you know, if we get the halfway, then that, that's what we're going to do. So so it's all dependent on the project. Um, but if if it is a, a rate that we agree upon, then it will be a 50-50 split, uh, 50 up front, 50 in the end.
1: Okay. No, that's good. That's good to know, right? And again, there's a bunch of different ways to do it but obviously the important thing is to you know if you're a person out there that's paying for commissions pay people right we've talked about that before and if you're an artist out there well then make sure you are getting paid right like these this is a you know artists die of exposure to quote right. the great albert and win right and so and, uh so anyway and
0: also make if you are the artist make sure you're delivering don't take a fee and not complete the project that's You know, artists that do that, they give artists a bad name and it makes commissioners uh, less willing to do so. And it it makes them more cautious and and like to the point where like, well, you know, I would rather just pay you in the end. And then things start getting weird because they've been burnt and, you know, some artists have been burnt. And so it kind of makes it complicated. But I think if you're doing, you know, a percentage up front and and you as an artist are checking in with with your client, you should be good to go. Uh, but make sure you're having that communication with them as well. Put them at ease because their money is on the line, as is yours, obviously. But, um, you know, it's nice to make everyone feel included and, uh, you know, safe when it comes to financials. Yeah,
1: man. So uh, so my second thing, which you are aware of, is the train for three protectors is rolling. You know, I've hinted at this other comic that I'm doing for a while, Three Protectors. It's the one that's gone through multiple revisions over the course of many years because it's never been the, you know, front and center project, right? Kadoja's been going on, I've been working on the novel, etc. But uh, this was a big week for Three Protectors. So so Mike finally uh, got back to me and was talking about how he had read Three Protectors and liked it. But he also said he's been so close to it that... He wanted to send it out to some other people and get some opinions. So on his end, he sent it out to a couple of the 215 uh, people that he trusts to give it an opinion. And uh, and then we also, well, what he didn't know, he also wanted Lance Pilgrim to take a look at it. But what he didn't know is that Lance has been a heavy consultant on three protectors up until this point, so you know I, I think he did have a conversation with Lance because I had a conversation with Lance about yesterday, uh, yesterday about it, and uh, and so I think you know the first couple of readers that I've I've heard from um, are are in very good spirits with it, and of course I sent it to I sent it to a few additional readers for feedback, including you. Yeah. So um, hopefully you'll get a chance to read that, and again I'm I'm optimistic that there are no major sticking points. But it's always interesting to to hear uh, a bit of feedback. I've already gotten a couple of really interesting bits of feedback that I'm going to incorporate into the final draft of the comic before I give it to Lance. Because Lance, as as I hinted at about a month ago, Lance wants to do a certain type of artistic treatment with it that I think is going to really do the book justice. And uh, what that means is we're getting pretty close. You know, we're getting down to it here. And um, And if that's the case, then I am... I am hopeful that we can get a Kickstarter up for this in September. So, you know, it, it'll it'll time out pretty well for me to wrap up Kadoja, give everybody their books, and then ideally get three protectors out there, which I am so excited about. It's been so long. I've had a soundtrack waiting for years for it. It's it's a soundtrack I'm particularly proud of for, for both myself and on behalf of Big Pimp Jones. I think Frank's best drumming, Frank the Drummer, I think his best drumming is on this soundtrack. And, uh, yeah, man, I think it fits the tone of the book very well. So I'm really, really excited to share that with everybody and uh i think it's coming soon finally finally i think it's coming soon so to be continued
0: that's awesome man and i'm super excited to read it i haven't had a chance you sent it to me yesterday and so hopefully i'll get some time either tonight or tomorrow to uh really uh you know dive into that and knock it all out Uh, how many volumes did you send me is it the first volume
1: there's only one volume in existence right now Okay, which which kind of which kind of steps on a bit of a creator problem that I struggle with, which is once Volume One comes out, Volume Two hasn't been started. But I'm just going to roll with Volume One. Volume One will be the only volume for probably like a year. You know, if there's a warm reception to Volume One, then I know that we can proceed with Volume Two, and uh, I'll go about. I mean, this will be a scratch type project. You know, I have an idea what Volume Two is going to to have. Um, but I don't have an artist we're working with yet, you know, but, uh, let's see how volume one does and then go from there. So yes, we, we talked about this before that I think, you know, if you have three protectors, then three volumes pro- probably makes sense. There are plenty of ideas I have out there for the future direction. Again, I have a vague idea where it's going. And, uh, so we'll see,
0: we'll see. Cool, man. Yeah. That, and honestly, that's kind of the course for the Indies. A lot of times, if you you're self-publishing all of these books, you're financing these yourselves. You are working on one book at a time. You know, for me, the second shift. Every time I draw an issue, yeah, and and I throw that on Kickstarter. The next issue is not going to be around for probably half of a year to a year, um, especially since yeah. I'm drawing two different books. So um, this is just for me. It's been a second shift heavy year, doing uh, Second Shift Eleven, the Drawtober project turned comic book, and then finishing issue ten right after that. Um, so honestly, I should have started Wanderers number three already, but I haven't just due to all of these projects. It's like, I'm really going to nail down these commissions, get them out of the way so I can start Wanderers three because that's long overdue. And then um, after that, I'm tackling the hardcover, which we've mentioned before. So,
1: Yeah, it, it was. That was my second thing. I wanted to make one last uh, quick point, which is, you know, the idea of a pipeline, right, as an indie creator, that a pipeline is important. And uh, it's always good to think of the next thing. But again, we're we're indie as in indie. And uh, we have a lot of other things going on. So we are not a, you know, monthly release type of comic company. We do it for the love and, and hopefully a, a bigger return down the road. But to your point, you know, for me, I'm obviously still working on the novel every day. But uh, once I finish up with three protectors here, then it's going to be time to get down to Kadoja Volume 4. And Kadoja Volume 4 might take a while. You know, I'm just not sure because I really want Will Perkins to be the artist on Kadoja 4, and I'm not sure what other conflicts he's going to have. So um, it's quite possible, you know, there is a scenario out there where I do nothing but talk about Kadoja Volume 4 starting in about a month or two, but it doesn't see the light of day until a year later because... You know, with three protectors, again, it it feels awkward to put volume one out there when volume two hasn't been started, but that's okay. With three protectors, I'll manage it. With Kadoja, I really don't want to put issue one out there until I know that issue two is at least in production, because I want to try to keep some... Look, if the cadence is once every six months, that's the cadence, but at least I know it is a cadence, and we can go from there, right? So, you know, again, it's we're in the indie world and this is how indie creation pipeline goes and maybe someday it ends up being our full-time job and we can do a book a month but uh but that's not the case right now right so anyway it's all good and it's all part of the process and it's you know it's joyous in whatever form it is because we're all out here making comics
0: that's right get in where you fit in um okay so that, that'll uh, bring to a close like our weekly activities, the stuff that we do for comics on a weekly basis. And then the topic for the week that we're going to ta- uh, tackle for the remaining of the episode is finding inspiration and finding inspiration in different places. So when we read comics, we're, we're getting inspired by those creators, our peers, uh, people we look up to, uh, the you know, the previous generations. But what about outside sources? Like, what else in your life are you looking to for inspiration?
1: Yes, that's the second time I made that joke and I'm going to beep it out again. I don't even
0: care. And that will inspire any man. All right, please continue. So besides bleeping this out, because it's hilarious. My obvious source
1: of inspiration. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Besides, uh, where do you find, where do you find inspiration, Keith, besides comic books? Like, what else do you look to for inspiration?
1: So you actually want me to go first, even though this was a a topic suggested
0: by you. Okay, I mean, I guess I can go first. I don't know. Uh, Do you want me to go first?
1: Yeah, yeah, because I think what's going to end up happening here is there's going to be a very cool... Point counterpoint here for what you as an artist are looking to for inspiration
0: versus what I as a writer am looking to for inspiration. Well, uh, what inspired the question in the first place was I was looking for something to throw on in the background while I was working. And I just so happened to be on the Disney channel, uh, the Disney Plus app, and I saw Inside Pixar. And I was like, hey, what's this? And uh, me and my goddaughter, we've been watching a lot of Pixar movies lately. And so I was like, hey, I'll give this a go. And it was basically creators uh, inside the Pixar studio um, talking about what inspires them, what they look for for inspiration when they create these movies. And and if anyone's seen a Pixar film, you know, like they got a they're like crushing it, like 90 percent of their movies, 95 percent of their movies are like knock it out of the park. Um, there's a couple of a couple of the ones out there that I'm not too crazy ab- about, but I know other people like. Like, unfortunately, I think the worst Pixar film was uh, Good Dinosaur, which is unfortunate because I love dinosaurs and I love Pixar. So the fact that they shit the bit on that the bet on that one was a little upsetting, but it is what it is. And um, but listening to those creators of these movies talk about what inspires them and seeing their influence in these films uh, made me. Look to different things, and and that in itself. Uh, so for you creators out there, if you're artists or writers, um, the writing in Pixar is amazing. The art in Pixar is amazing. So uh, I would definitely give that a look. If you have Disney Plus, almost everybody in the world does. Uh, look for Inside Pixar and 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 take a look at that.
1: Okay, no, that that's very cool. So for me, I, I think I'm going to get progressively further from writing with each one. I think. But, um, but so for the first one, you know, books are an obvious source of inspiration, but there are millions of goddamn books. So saying books doesn't really help anyone with anything, but, um, I, all I can talk about is the type of things that I get inspiration from in reading. And so my personal book reading strategy is that I go back and forth between books that are a bit more, Ooh, Ooh let's just call them fancy pants for lack of a better way to put it. Okay. Fancy pants books and, and comfort books. Okay. Fast food books. Um, so fancy pants books. I mean, that's obviously going to be like your literary books. Um, the type of books that are going to push you a little bit and may not be the easiest thing to get through, but you're going to get something right. And I'm going to name names here. There's a book it's called Mona and it's by a Spanish author and it is a Odd, odd book, partially due to, I think, the fact that it's translated book from what I believe is Spanish and and might have European sensibilities, which, you know, we don't truly 100% understand living here in the United States. That said, even though this book was a bit of a a push, a bit of a slog, and there were things where I was like, okay, yeah, I really don't like this part at all. um, There was one thing I took from it right what i really liked is i liked how in the first five pages the author set up the lead character very well and i was thinking you know if you wanted you could actually just copy this template you could take these first five pages four pages whatever it is and turn it into a template on how to introduce your lead character in a story you know and i'm talking about generic things like drop them in a scene describe their appearance in the second paragraph Talk about a personal incident in the third paragraph, whatever it's going to be, right? So there's definitely a value there to not only taking these things, but also trying to analyze them. And just all you really have to do is, it's not that fancy. Pick something, when something comes up where you're like, ooh, I like that, ask yourself why. Why do I like it? And then start drilling down from there. So I think that can be very helpful and, and to kind of pair that up with the other side of books, there's the comfort food books, right? There's my In N Out Burger books. And in my case, like Stephen King is an in and out book. You know, like I, I love just going back to reading Stephen King and H. P. Lovecraft and Neil Gaiman and, you know, and some of these things are are quite are are a bit fancy. You know what I mean? Um I, I don't want to imply that they're all fast food, but, you know, they're they're comfort books. They're books that I've read multiple times or as I've, I've mentioned before on the podcast, there are books that I read 30 years ago, and I want to go back and revisit now just to see what they are. You know, I'm currently reading a book right now called On a Pale Horse by Piers Anthony. It is a book um, that I read when I was 16, I think, and loved when I was 16. Maybe a little bit older, but, but close. And it's about a person who ends up becoming death. That is the death that, like, takes souls. Um, it's a fun book. And you know what? I've already picked up a few little things from it. Maybe as a writer, you pick up a little turn of phrase you like and you write that down in your writer's journal and you think, hey, I like this turn of phrase. I like this idea. Maybe I can put these couple words into my words and incorporate this into a book. Uh, Into my book or into my comic or whatever it's going to be. So I think the first thing is, whether it's a comic writer or a book writer, you can always find inspiration not that far from home in terms of genre, right? It's still a comic and a book, but it's a comic and a book that are unlike the books you're doing. You're stepping outside your comfort zone. If you write superhero books, read some horror books. If all you do is write horror books, read some superhero books or read some children's books or, or read whatever, right? Like all ages books. There are so many... Sources of content out there that can help you and inspire you if you just move away from your standard genre a little bit, um, it'll help. It'll it it could help a
0: great deal. Yeah. And that and that dovetail into the second thing that I sent you earlier, which was uh, uh, don't look to just your favorite artists and writers for inspiration. So, like Keith is talking about, he's reading a book. It's a bit of a slog, it's a bit weird, so it might not be his normal thing, but he's he's giving it a go and seeing what he can take from it, and there's all of these things. Um, look everywhere. Uh, even if you don't like someone's writing or art overall, maybe they do something that you can take away and say, "Hey, that's pretty clever." So you can use those notes. Um, it was something when when I, uh, when I was w- back when I was wrestling. Uh, and this seems to come up a lot. That was something uh, some information that I got s- some from some of the vets, some of the very re- very good vets. It was just stop looking at your favorite guy. like, yeah, you can you can read that person, you can watch that guy over and over again, and you can get the nuances of that creator of that person. But what about the other guys? Like what about uh, you know someone you wouldn't think is as good? Like you see someone that's really good at something and you don't know why you're like, why is that guy so good? Like there's not much to him, but something about him makes you go, he's, he's quality for whatever he is doing. So make sure you're, you're looking to other artists, other writers and seeing what they do well. And maybe either incorporating that or just thinking about that and how you can spin that into something you can do. Like what is, what is the thing? What is the tweak that you can do to make that your own?
1: to your, you know, kind of, kind of piggybacking on that, right. As we, as we begin to venture out, you know, my first one was specifically books, comics, things like that, but let's take it one step further, right. Cause what we're talking about is ways to get inspired and, you know, I can't help it, but I come back to that writer's block question a lot, you know, it, in terms of how I'm thinking about this, like if you're the kind of person that's looking for inspiration Something tells me you might be the kind of person that's a bit stuck in what they're doing right now and could use a bit of a boost, you know. And, um, and so I, I think to that point, from the writing perspective, you know what can give you a big boost? Eavesdropping. Go somewhere. <laughs> order a cup of coffee. Order a beer. Order a burger. Whatever you're doing, man. Sit around and listen to people. You know, like there are plenty – like S- Scott can vouch for this, and I'm and I, I'm sure I can kind of vouch for this too. Scott, if someone sat one table over from us, they would hear every fucking word I say. You know what I mean? Like I got a big ass mouth, bro. So <laughs> y- you can hear me. You can hear me quite clearly. And uh, and there are plenty of people that you know. People just have voices that carry. Y- y- eavesdropping is nowhere near as hard as you think. You know, like you could just sit at a table within ten feet of somebody, and you're going to hear everything. And what's really interesting, you know, one of the big things about writing is understanding how dialogue works and, and making sure that when your characters are talking, that if you have five characters, you don't have five versions of you. You know, what you have is maybe one sort of version of you and four other versions of people that are completely themselves, right? And the only way you're really going to truly understand that is by listening to a bunch of people talk in a bunch of different ways going out in public again getting a water getting a coffee getting a beer getting an enchilada man i don't even care going to a you know going to a sporting event it doesn't matter people talk everywhere and you can really learn so much simply by listening to people that can be a big boost to you you know especially if you're searching for inspiration and maybe if you're going for like you know the the big like who knows if they say something that triggers your brain the key is to be curious and the key is to be ready to kind of be informed by the universe and wait for, like, these things to kind of happen to you. And maybe, maybe you try to write down a bit of dialogue verbatim, and maybe you just understand, oh, this person always ends their sentences a certain way, or this person's a storyteller, or this person talks in very short, brief sentences, but their word selection is incredible, and they convey everything they need to convey in five words, Right. An operative phrase that that Scott and I have said, even within these first couple things, is why? Ask yourself why. If you like something that someone's saying, if you think they're funny, if you think they're stupid, if you think they're whatever, why? Why are you thinking this? What bit of behavior is driving that? And if you understand that, then that's just going to make you better at anything you do in terms of creativity.
0: And that goes with uh, artistic value as well, all of that. There's great artistic value in what Keith just said. Uh, to go out there and to listen to people, um, just, just the way that people talk, you can, it, you can see the way they would move, you know, you could, and you could watch the way they move. Like, there's nothing better than uh, being in San Diego, going to downtown during Comic Con weekend, if you're not if you're not working the show. My friends love doing this, my non-comic related friends. They love going to downtown, sitting at a bar on a patio and people watching. Cause there's just so much crazy shit going on out there that they just love to sit and watch, and like it's so many different groups of my friends. Like, it's not the same group; it's different people saying, "I love doing this," and so it's it's fascinating to anyone.
1: Totally. Was was that your third thing, or are you about to launch into your third thing?
0: No, man. Yeah, I would say I would say that's it for me um, as as far as that stuff goes. It's just uh, you know. Um, also, when you do see other artists, uh, maybe this is my third thing. Uh, you can. I don't know if other artists are like this, but I can kind of see what's inspiring those artists. So that might give me a hint to go take a look at, at, at something else, you know, like a couple of my uh, more favorite artists, like I could tell they're looking at anime. Like they're clearly looking at anime. There's, there's no other thing they could potentially be looking at. So, um, you know, go to different genres, see where you can find inspiration uh, wherever it may be, um, depending on what style of art you're doing or what kind of uh, book you're writing. Like you can find it anywhere and everywhere.
1: Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm so with that in a in a weird way that sets up nicely the final thing that I was going to mention. One one of my favorite things to do, and and in terms of writing, in terms of you know music, which of course I've been in a band for a very long time, and and music is is a pretty good analogy for this. Um, it's always interesting to know what like if you want to be a certain artist if you're like that artist is cool go deeper go one level deeper go one one level behind them you know to use i'm going to i'm going to make this analogy twice okay metallica okay because it's an easy one and i love talking about metallica we can make a drinking game out of metallica going forward right there are a lot of bands out there that want to sound like metallica okay but the but what what an interesting thing to do is is to say but who influenced metallica diamond head Uh, is a huge influence on the band Metallica. Metallica has covered multiple Diamond Head songs. And so Metallica's big influence primarily was to form a band that sounded like the new wave of British heavy metal. Diamond Head was one of these like unknown bands at the time. Others were Iron Maiden, early Def Leppard, things like that, that really informed how Metallica sounds. So if you go back and listen to the new wave of British heavy metal, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I totally see where Metallica got this from. You know to use an author version let's say you love stephen king well don't be the next stephen king ask yourself who influenced stephen king who are the people that stephen king read growing up and maybe you can go back and get a bit more of an organic thing there that not only introduces you to some cool new pop culture and some things that might influence you but also gives you a bit more of like an original bend instead of just taking that popular thing and copying that popular thing and I'm sure for artists, it, it's the exact same thing, right? Don't copy Todd McFarlane. Ask yourself who influenced Todd McFarlane and then go from there, right? Or who influenced them? Keep digging back. Keep going back as far as you can while it makes sense. You know, if someone was influenced by cuneiform drawings on caves, okay, maybe you've gone a little bit too far, right? But aside from that, <laughs> who influenced who? That sort of stuff matters and can help fuse your own artistic identity as well.
0: Right on, man. Uh, so I wanted to ask you. So, what influenced you to start Kadoja? Like, what made you go, this is the book that I want to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that actually. You know, the, the weird thing about Kadoja is when it first started. So, Kadoja started as a soundtrack. And I, and I, again, I think I've given a version of this story before, but what happened was we created Big Pimp Jones, created, we had done a couple fake soundtracks before. We had done a couple fake black exploitation soundtracks called Bad Bad Jimmy Ruckus and Jimmy Ruckus and the Five Fingers of Death. And if anyone wants a good laugh, go read the liner notes to that. I made them up entirely, right? But there are some people that read that and were like, oh my God, is this true? Well, one of the things I put is that the original uh, film reel for Bad Bad Jimmy Ruckus went for $927,000 on an eBay auction, and it was rumored that Quentin Tarantino was the one who bought it. Dude, I had people for years ask me, like, what was it like to work with Tarantino? <laughs> what the fuck? It's like, I made it up, dude. I made it all up. You know, like, I almost didn't want to say it. So I just kept rolling with it. I'm like, oh, it was cool. He was cool. <laughs> you know, like that kind of shit. So uh, the the Kadoja soundtrack, the first Kadoja soundtrack, is a record called Terra Mountain Showdown. And that had a different name. That name was called The Final Destruction of Tokyo, which... First of all, I I absolutely heart that name. I was so it was going to be called like Godzilla: The Final Destruction of Tokyo, and it was rumored to be like it was going to be the same exact thing, right? It was going to be a Lost Godzilla soundtrack, blah blah blah, old school sounding, you know, funk, etc. And uh, and we were, you know, the label was ready to proceed with it, and then the um, the enormous earthquake hit Japan. The I think it was the Fukushima one, and uh, all of a sudden, a very very clever name turned out to be tasteless because of current Mm. events and as a result the record label did not want to proceed with it so uh i'm sitting here with as a member of big pant jones with the soundtrack in my hands i'm like well what the hell do i do with this and uh you know i'd taken some writing classes and i had done some things before and i was like well this is a godzilla soundtrack why don't i make a godzilla comic to it i've always wanted to write something you know and i think as someone in a band, you always wonder, like, what's your exit strategy going to be? You know, I've always dabbled in writing. And that then became the beginning of Kadoja uh, because I love Giant Monsters. And at the time, you know, this was 2011 when, the, when this soundtrack, you know, almost happened but didn't. Um, it had been seven years since any form of Godzilla had been out there. You know, the previous Godzilla piece of pop culture was 2004's Godzilla Final War's. Although at the time IDW was making a few Godzilla comics, but that was about it. So I was like, man, I love giant monsters. Let's make a giant monster and do a comic. And then one thing led to another and that became Kadoja. And then Rory, Lance and I, you know, I've, I've mentioned before in the podcast on how I knew Lance and how Lance brought Rory in the fold and how I learned to, you know, work with Rory. And all of a sudden the three of us were a team and we were creating the, uh, the Bible for this comic. And then it just kept on going from there, and before you knew it, we had issue number one in our hands. Um, That's awesome. So I, man. I think that answered the question. Yeah, how about you, man? So you're pro wrestling, and then Second Shift number one comes out, and there's a certain gap of time there. So like, what happened during that gap that made it go from like wrestling to Second Shift number one?
0: Well, well, it all started in seventh grade. Like, I I loved comics uh, ever since I was a little kid. And I started doing them in high school. I was drawing my own comics. I was probably drawing them before then, too. I don't ever remember really finishing anything, but like always drawing covers or like pin-up style images of, of stuff. And uh, X-Men number one comes out in 1990. And, uh, you know, it's all she wrote. I, after that, I just was drawing constantly. Um, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, those guys were huge inspirations to me and um i hadn't stopped drawing ever since so my original inspiration was to uh uh, draw comics of my own my own characters and the funny part is i think and i don't know stanley said this outside of this movie but in Mallrats, kevin smith movie um revisited it's not it doesn't hold up unfortunately it does um, not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved it. When back when it came out, I absolutely loved it. I was a teenager. Um, the movie's all about comic books. I love Jason Lee. And uh, you know, so you have this great movie, right? And uh Stan Lee's in it. And and he always and in the movie he talks about like, I don't understand why people want to write my characters. Why don't you guys create characters of your own? You know, and and so and uh and he mentions in that, like those characters that he created, they're just different parts of him. And that was, that was the impetus of, of second shift. I was just like, Hey, I know me. And so, you know, like going from there, it's like, well, you just divide your personality up and, 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 you know, you try to tap into those things and like form those things to be more than what you are and create them as own characters. Right. So that was the start of the second shift was, uh, you know, X Men number one and Maulrats combined with Stanley's sage like wisdom of uh, creating your own characters. Why do you want? Why do you want to write and draw my old characters? Like, uh, create something of your own. And and um, honestly, ever since I was a little kid, I've never wanted to draw for the big two or anyone else. I always wanted to draw my own stuff.
1: Yes, that that applies, right? That applied definitely to me for Kadoja. Um, although, you know, if I'm going through the main characters in Kadoja. Um, Williams is based on a good friend of mine Um, so Williams is definitely based on on them but you know that's that's what you do too when you're talking about back to what we were saying about making characters right if you make a bunch of characters that are dimensions of you make sure they don't all talk like you make sure you know one or zero of them talk like you in fact it's far more therapeutic to have zero of them talk like you than one but if you got to have one Especially when you're starting out, please, please do. And what I was doing was I was actually going through the first couple issues of Kadoja here in the trade because I always keep it handy because I need to consult it a lot just to make sure continuity is good. And uh, yeah, it just it just reiterates that that General Cruz uh, appearance wise is based on my wife, but personality wise is completely me. Um, it's, it, but that kind of stuff is fun, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's such an easy thing to do. You know, it's just like look, if you're just starting out, um, the, you know, you know yourself better than anyone else. So if the character is saying something, you can tell if it's off, if you're not writing it, you know, like, or, or if you, you, if you are writing it, you can tell when it's out of character. So that's like with me and Ed, Ed will write the script and he'll be, you know, he'll be writing one of the characters. And I'm like, you know what, this character wouldn't say that. I could see the other ones saying it, but this one wouldn't, right? Like so you have to know the lines of like of like where to cut it off. So like um Eddie yeah. switch in the second shift, it's it's me as a kid, as a young kid. So I can always tell when he's off. But the other people, I'm like, well, they're they're a small percentage of how my brain works, but they don't talk like me and they don't always think like me because I have yeah you know, different aspects of my personality. So it's just like, okay, would this, would this character talk like that? You have to, like you said, you have to learn how to draw those lines and, you know, make sure not everyone is speaking in the same way.
1: There's always places to find inspiration. I think my final thing about inspiration would be you can find it anywhere. You know, like I was talking to someone the other day and they said they find inspiration in going out for a walk and looking up at the sun and looking at trees. Is that going to make you a better writer necessarily? No, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, right? But it, it's all about how you go out there and clean your, cleanse your brain, get yourself inspired, get yourself fresh. You know what I mean? Because being fresh mentally is is inspiring too. And so uh, so anyway, it, it's about treating yourself right, being open to ideas and not being afraid to step outside what you think is comfortable and, uh, and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I say that all applies. And, and I do the same thing as your friend. I do uh, go out into my neighborhood park area, I throw throw the ball from uh, from my dog, and I'll do some exercise while I'm out there, but I'm laying there, you know, in, bet- in between sets, I do look up at the clouds, I look up at the trees, I take some deep breaths, and I feel good, and uh, inspired in the sense that, hey, I feel good, so I think it's time to go create something. So maybe that doesn't translate to uh, necessarily me drawing or anything like that, or, or writing, But but I do feel better doing those things. So, yeah, you know, if you're having some difficulties, go take a walk, get some fresh air. And um, also, I do study the trees, by the way. (laughs) So I'll be like, how does this tree form? What is this tree? How does this tree look differently? That's also something uh, helpful. If you if you're an artist out there and you want to make some uh, different looks in your background, some silhouettes, go out in your neighborhood. See what kind of different trees are planted, because uh, like in my complex alone, there's about seven different types of trees. So uh, instead of drawing the same old tree that you do in every single background, you could draw six different trees and, and that'll change up your stuff and uh, it, it's helpful. Take some photos too. You yeah. know, if, you, if you're not going to yeah. remember that, take some photos while you're out. Reference photos are always good.
1: Yeah, I actually, I didn't expect to riff off this, but I'm gonna. The human brain is a super interesting thing, right? And to your point, Scott, if if you as an artist are choosing to draw seven different trees as your background instead of one tree as your background every time, then whether people realize it or not, they are going to respond to that, you know, and I'm going to give a bit of a musical reference here in that something that I obsess over when I am making music is for no two bars of music to sound completely the same, right? So maybe it's a little drum difference. Maybe it's a little bit of a bass guitar instrument difference, a little tick here and there, but You know, you can get repetitive in music, especially when you're, you know, kind of assembling stuff digitally and maybe working with loops and things like that. Um, The brain is a funny thing, you know, And, and the brain really does react and enjoys being engaged when there's a little something there, whether you consciously realize it or not. So that's why these little extra bits of effort in terms of making effort, in terms of drawing, having a template of seven trees and arranging that in a different way for every single panel so that no no panel you ever make has the same exact arrangement of trees trust me that stuff matters that stuff matters in like a subconscious way it's it i can't explain it but it's the way the brain works and it's going to make people respond more favorably to what you make because their brain is engaged and it's not you're not allowing the brain and the perception of people to kind of fall into a lull
0: i love it all right. I think that's good, man. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect me to t- try to dabble in amateur neuroscience there, but you know, the podcast goes where it goes. <laughs> I did well, hype this as being my best pod- podcast performance ever, so I, I like and, to think I didn't disappoint.
0: And you were not lying. There was tons of great stuff in there. <laughs> and uh, if you guys liked what you heard today, um, if you have some questions, comments, concerns, make sure you're going to hit us up on Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, We'd love to hear from you guys. Also, make sure you guys leave us a review. Um, I don't know if they do star ratings. Is that a thing? Uh, Five stars. Uh, Give us a great review. Thumbs up us uh, in just your life, because I don't think that happens on podcasts, just on YouTube. So just give us a thumbs up while you're listening to us. And uh, I think we'll know. (laughs) We'll know in our hearts that you did it. If
1: you're walking around in Brazil and you're Mm -hmm. listening to this right now and you like it, yes, yes. Just give a big old thumbs up to the sky right now. We feel it.
0: Yeah. We feel it. We feel it in our hearts. While we're looking at these trees, (laughs) while I'm doing my exercise, I could feel that thumbs up. Okay. All right. And then if you want to look for us on social media, you could find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost.
1: Yeah, man. And for me, you can find me at Keith underscore Decibel on Instagram. That is me doing stuff and reading comics and sharing comics on my stories and all kinds of fun
0: stuff. And then for Kadoja all things kadoja it is at kadoja kaiju and that is all one word and you could find my comics wanders of Millisanda and second shift on AccidentalAliens.com. second shift is a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night and wanders of melisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans a thousand years in the future we start colonizing other planets we come across the planet Millisanda, where the meteor never hit Din- dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved Uh, So it's two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Does that ever work? That never works.
1: Yeah, man. And for Kadoja, look, I'm going to keep this simple and clean. Giant f***ing monsters. If you like that, well, then you can go to KeithRFoster.com. There's a Kadoja store. I put up blog posts when I can. I love horror. I love all kinds of stuff. And when I get to it, I put up some new blog posts. So check that out. KeithRFoster.com.
0: Alright, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Making Comics Thank you guys so much, look up at the clouds look at some trees, give us a thumbs up and we'll see you guys next week Yay yay Alright books.